All right, if you look on the back of your bulletin, at the bulletin board, there's a couple of uh, very important announcements that impact you, actually. And uh, you'll want to know about them. Members, really it's for everyone, but the very first thing on there is we have our annual congregational meeting today right after the church, right after we're done here, over at the building, just around the corner up there. If you don't know where it is, ask us afterward. And uh, uh, it's open to everyone. Our members will be the ones voting on our new elders and our budget and ministry plan. And we'll have a presentation about what God's been doing at the church and where we're headed and what's going on there. So uh, please come to that. We need you to come. So... Second thing is next Sunday is our last Sunday here in the amphitheater. Okay, let's hear it again. If it's snowing next week, you'll be saying something different. (laughs) It's our last Sunday, and we have a tradition here that on our last Sunday, we have a potluck, and we have a brunch together right after church. So look carefully at that, because you can probably figure out what your last name starts with and what you should bring. And we're going to be right up here in the pavilions, right here. That's where we're going to be. So be sure to bring something. If you look under the uh, section DCC Christian Education Classes, now that we're moving back into the building, we have uh, several new classes starting up. I do want to call attention to the classes on Wednesday night. Uh, my class and uh, Frank Butler is doing the Financial Peace University. We're offering child care, and uh, that's something that we're starting this year for our young families, our young couples that have trouble getting there if they want to come. And let me encourage you to take advantage of this. Uh, Bill Spear has a Sunday school class right after church, except for today. If you come today, you're coming to the congregational meeting. So come. And you can look at the rest of these and uh, see what all that God is doing here. It's important to see what's happening now that we're moving back into the building. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, thank you for all of your prayers and your well wishes and encouragement and hugs now that I'm back. Uh, yes, it was a long trip. Obviously, God protected me because I'm standing here. And um, I was in Mozambique for a week, South Africa. And then I went from there to Kathmandu, Nepal. And uh, so a week ago, I was preaching at a village church in Kathmandu. And then a week before that, I was preaching at a village church in Africa. And here I am today. Wow, what a world we live in. Isn't that right? Let me tell you the one thing that stands out to me from the trip. Robert, I just got to say thank you, buddy. You are fantastic. Here's the way it works in Nepal. I get up there to preach, and somebody in the congregation doesn't like the way my microphone sounds. They run up, and they pull the plug out of the soundboard. (coughs) And I'm talking like that right now. (coughs) And they can hear me again. Three minutes later, somebody else doesn't like it, and they go change it. And so all through the service, I'm hearing people, they don't know how to turn the soundboard down, apparently, to change it, and they're plugging in different places. That happens every time I'm there. And you know what? The people don't even blink an eye. They're so used to it. That's just the way it's done. So can we just say thank you to our sound guys and embarrass them like crazy? (laughs) That's surprisingly what I remember from the trip. The, uh, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to do more with what happened on the trip, but let me just say this. The Christians in Nepal were very encouraged for lots of reasons. One of them is uh, because of the earthquakes, their Hindu friends and neighbors are very inquisitive. Several of the Hindu friends and neighbors have said, where were our 330 million gods? And so the churches in Kathmandu are seeing more people come to Christ than they've seen ever before and that's very exciting for the christians 
Yeah. Yes. The earthquakes are continuing. They, uh, they're there every day. They've had uh, over 350 above 4.0 in the Richter scale, and they've had thousands below that. So it's just constantly trembling. The seismologists have explained to them, and I've actually read this, so I know that's true. I didn't know if they knew it or not, that they thought there were originally two plates. They discovered that there's three, and uh, one of those plates is steadily moving. They don't understand which direction it's moving in. If it's moving in one direction, it'll eventually, everything will settle down, but that hasn't happened yet. If it's moving in another direction, then that will result in a 9.0 earthquake, which is the highest you can measure. And so I asked them, what does that mean if you have a 9.0? And they said that means uh, nothing made by a human can withstand the 9.0. That's total destruction. So I asked the Christians, what do do you think about that, a 9.0? And they said, what's in the Lord's hands? Lord willing, we'll be here next year when you come back. And if not, we'll see you in heaven. Isn't that a great attitude? So they're very encouraged, and I was encouraged to find out. So in a couple weeks, we'll talk more about it and give you more details about what happened. All right, we've been in a series. We're getting near the end. Today's the first day we're going to be in the New Testament. We're talking about an engaging God. And the reason why we wanted to do this is we wanted to introduce God, specifically the Father, uh, who goes by the term God. That's how he's known in the Old Testament to you. And it's very easy for us to remember or to think or to form a philosophy or an opinion based on our life that God may or may not be involved in the way that we think. Sometimes he feels like a puppeteer where he's just controlling all the circumstances, and it's like, well, what difference does it make? Other times it feels like he's not involved at all in our lives. Where did he go? And those are certainly extremes in which we do see God working. He does do that. Sometimes he's quiet. Ask Jesus, why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus experienced that on the cross. And sometimes he's involved a little more than we want him to be involved in. And so we wanted to really start talking about the idea that God engages us in a way that's best for us. He's always engaging us. Even when he's silent, and I use the picture of a a parent looking around the corner at a two-year-old playing. You can see the two-year-old. Two-year-old doesn't know the parent's there. The the parent certainly is having his or her will completed. The kid's not unsafe. Everything's going fine. But he's allowing the two-year-old to play. And the two-year-old feels that sense of freedom. And that's grace, that's grace that God gives us that perspective and that feeling because we wouldn't want to feel like our lives are controlled all the time. We're not created for that. And so there's lots of times where God is silent. That doesn't mean he's not engaged. He's very engaged in what's happening with you all the time, constantly. He is. So we've worked our way through the Old Testament, and I just made a list kind of what we talked about. God creates, God blesses, God remembers, God tests us. God is very personal. He redeems us. He's faithful. God is holy. Last week, thank you, Mark. I've heard lots of feedback. Even today, I've heard lots of feedback from these people. Thank you for your message last week. God is holy. And so today, I want to talk about God reveals. One of the greatest, most exquisite stories of love is in John chapter 1. It doesn't get any better than this. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, look in John chapter 1. We're moving into the New Testament now. And how does God reveal himself in an engaging way with Christ? So we spent 10 weeks or 11 weeks looking in the Old Testament at how God engaged the people of Israel and the nations of the world. How does he engage us today? John chapter 1 starts off. It's very poetic. It's very wonderful. 
in fantastic literature. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's the starting point. That should give us confidence. In the very beginning, long before us, God was present. That should help us to have confidence. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. You notice He doesn't say who it is. He just calls Him the Word. All things were made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. We've looked at the imagery of light, how God has portrayed his light. He brings us clarity. He brings us a sense of understanding. We can see things because of him. We can understand things. And then verse 14, you have this fantastic verse. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He lived with us. Now picture this just for a moment. God made us in his image, and then he became our image so that we could understand him. God made us in his image, and then he became our image by becoming a human to live with us. That's what's behind Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. Let's say it together. God with us. There's a technical doctrine. We call that the hypostatic union. I love that term. Uh, Every seminary student learns it. It's wonderful. Fully God, fully human, united in one body forever. I asked my students in Nepal, I was trying to find an example of something that they wouldn't have connected with and remember. It says, anybody know the hypostatic union? Every hand in the class went up. I about fell off my chair. I said, really? What is it? Fully God, fully human. United one body forever. It's like, wow. Our students in the United States can't even do that. It's great. Fully God, fully humid, united in one body forever. You know what that means, folks? That means the sacrifice of Christ is a lot bigger than the cross. He's human for all time. Because he wants to be like us. He wants to live with us. And he wants us to see who this one true God is truly is so verse 14 this word became flesh and he lived among us he made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth all throughout the old testament exodus 34 6 is a perfect classic example god is described as full of loving kindness and truth those two words they go together to give us a picture of who this one true god is Loving kindness and truth. That's a description that's well known all throughout the Old Testament to describe our God. And all of a sudden we hear it right here. Applied to Jesus. Full of grace and truth. Verse 16. Out of his fullness we have received grace in place of grace already given. You see, the law was a means of grace. In a very, very dark world where the gods never spoke... Can you imagine being in a world where you had no idea what the gods wanted and you had to figure that out? Our God comes through and speaks very clearly and gives the law to the Israelites. We saw that back in Exodus earlier this summer. That is a means of grace that God would do that, that he would, he would 
speak openly and clearly, give them his name and tell them what he wanted from them. And then later on, he would move to redeem them, to forgive them, to love them. So grace was already given long ago. But all of a sudden, we've got something else going on here. We received grace in place of grace already given. So it's like icing on top of icing. It's not like the icing on the cake. The cake's already built. It's like icing on top of icing. The Jews love the law. That's why Paul says the law is holy. It's righteous. It's good. It's wonderful. What did the psalmist say? I love thy law, O Lord. Teach me thy precepts so that I might know your way. They love the law. We tend to look back and think of it a little bit negatively. They didn't think of it that way because they realized that God had spoken clearly into a dark world and told them the truth. By the way, that's what's happening with many of the Hindus in Nepal right now. They have no idea what to, how to make sense of all this. Where are our gods? Look at the devastation. 20% of the buildings dropped. Boom. Like that. In the big earthquake. If you've ever seen one of those apocalyptic movies of New York in the year 2557 and the Empire State Building and the city hasn't been inhabited, that's what portions of the city look like right now. I was just there and saw it. It's, it's amazing. It's beyond description. Where were our gods? Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth, there's that phrase again, came through Jesus Christ. And then here it is. No one has ever seen God Listen to that again. No one, no one has ever seen God. Exodus 33, this is just after the golden bull, the golden calf. Moses is in a discussion with God, and God says, um, I'm not going to go up with the people to the promised land because they sinned against me by making an idol, and uh, if I go up with them, I might destroy them. So Moses is having this encounter with God saying, wait a minute now. I love the, one of the statements in there. These are your people. <laughs> They're not my people. These are your people, he says. So you get to take response. I love the conversations Moses has and the prophets have with God. They don't mind getting in his face and reminding him, these are your people. Moses said once earlier, why did you ever make me to lead these people? These obstinate, that's how I feel sometimes about our church. No, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so he reminds God, these are your people. I think what you're going to do is good and right. I trust it. And in the middle of that, he says, uh, show me your glory. And God said, uh, well, no one's ever seen my face, because if they did, they would die. So I'm going to hide you in the rock, cleft of the rock, and go by you, and I'll put my hand over you, and I will move, remove my hand so you can see just a glimpse. Because if you see me, you will die. No one has ever seen God. That is always true. That's always true, and it always will be true. But the one and only Son who is himself God, get it? The one only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father. Literally, he's in the bosom of the Father. He is one with the Father. He has revealed him. He has made him known. So what does Jesus say at the end of John? He says to Philip, Philip, 
If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen the Father. So God knows that if he ever revealed, the Father knows if he ever revealed himself to us, we would not, we would not be able to handle it. We would die. And so what did he do? He sent his son to become like us, to take on human form so that God could dwell with us for eternity. For eternity. You know, when you get to the very end of the book, we're going to look a little bit at this next week. When you get to the very end of the book, what you find is that that line between heaven and earth, it's, it's obliterated, it's gone. And it's pictured, the New Jerusalem is pictured as coming down to us. And Jesus, standing in the Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, right in the middle with us, he's with us for all time. His sacrifice is eternal. He became a human for all time for our benefit. That's the secret behind the hypostatic union. Fully God, fully human, united in one body forever. That's what we believe. You see why I say this is an incredible statement of love that God, who is not embodied, we are embodied creatures. That's what we are created for. Paul says if we lose our body, it's very uncomfortable. So he assures the Corinthian believers, absent from the body, present with the Lord. You have nothing to worry about. But that's not God. For God the Son to take on a human body forever so he could enjoy us, that is a sacrifice. And quite honestly, to me, it's mind-boggling. And yet that's what the Bible says. Where are you in your walk with Jesus? If you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. If you've experienced Jesus, you've experienced the Father. He and the Father are one, he said. They are so tight, they are that unified, that when you see Jesus, you have seen the Father. You see, you don't need to see God, because Jesus took on a human form. He lives with us for eternity. So where are you in your walk with Jesus? I can't answer the question, only you can. Do you struggle in your walk with him? Do you long to see more of God? God, if I only could see this sign, I'd believe in you more. By the way, there's a lot of people that did that. Just read the New Testament. That was a very common approach. Do you know he's engaging you this very second, right now? Some of you have a hard time seeing it. Some of you don't like the way he's engaging you. I get that. I've been there. And some of you wonder where he is in that engagement. But he is engaging you. But he's engaging you now as the son. By the way, no one has ever seen God, but what about those experiences like in Isaiah 6 where Isaiah says that uh, he was standing in the throne room and he saw Yahweh. He saw the Lord fill the temple. He saw this one true God fill the temple. Well, isn't that God the Father? Well, John 12 tells us that he was speaking of Jesus. That's who he saw, Jesus. So anytime in the Old Testament, I believe, you see where God reveals himself to someone in a personal form? He's seeing Jesus. We call that technically a pre-incarnate Christ. A Christophany. Okay? That's what we call it. But it's Jesus. In the same story in Exodus 33, Moses would go out to the tent of meeting to meet with God, and the pillar of cloud would come down, 
and it said God would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with a man. A friend speaks with a friend. That's Jesus. Because no one has ever seen God. So we have a God who loves us so deeply, so committed to us as his creation, that he decided to become like us so that we could see him finally. So John says in 1 John, our hands handled him. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him. We ate with him. That's how much God loves us. He loves us enough to reveal himself to us through his son in a way that we can understand. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Father, thank you for protecting us and not letting us see, not letting us see that that unfiltered glory because you know that we would die. Thank you for that. Thank you for sending your Son. Jesus, thank you for coming and become like, becoming like one of us so that we could touch you, we could spend time with you, we can converse with you, we can enjoy you, we can feel your presence, and we can know this one true God through you. Thank you for that. Help us, Lord. As the Father said, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. Lord, it's hard, and you know this. It's hard being human in such a broken world and just wondering day by day, is this really real? That's what faith is all about. Is this really real? Help us to believe. Help us in our unbelief. We pray these things in your name, Jesus, because we believe in you. Amen. I'm going to ask the elders to come down and take the offering. and. By the way, uh, for those of you that come to the meeting today, you're going to hear that our finances are healthy. And uh, I just want to say thank you. That's on you. It's not on us. We don't do that. I mean, all the staff, we give as you do, give our own way. But we're grateful for you. You're the ones that make this happen right here, ministry. It's not us. Thank you for your generosity.